0: Four vaccines later I still got it. Because yeah. Because of course I'm old. But um having the vaccines worked.
1: Having vaccines worked, yeah, you got it. you, got a, worked, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you got, got a lighter version. Yeah. Yeah. You got a lighter
0: version of it. Having yeah. the drugs worked. Yeah. Okay. You, um, I would yes. like to start off by telling you mm-hmm. that I I don't think anybody needs anything else but karma this week so I've decided to put up an airdrop of the karma coin and it, if Hayden will put uh, Heyman will put up the link to it um, let's see I could probably do it <laughs> I can't. If I don't make him a moderator, he can't. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, there is a free karma coin available to everyone who comes to this show today. So ping your friends in. I'm trying to spread karma. We are in the most awful period Um just I thought we were in an awful period before uh, I think we're gonna be in a more awful period. I can honestly say that women women are under siege uh Heyman and I were just sort of um spitballing how women are under siege globally, and if you really think about it, it really isn't. Only in America, we always tend to think of things. I love to talk to Heyman because um, we tend to think of things from an American lens. And um, and he- and Heyman has a much more global lens. And so he basically is thinking while I'm saying, oh, my God, Roe versus Wade, he is saying, um afghanistan children not, not females not being able to go to uh school and barbara and i were spitballing this week and we got got the the feeling that uh, it had a lot to do with women's health so here's what we're going to do with the karma club for a while and i really want to do this in a fairly systematized way. So I, I think I'm going to work with uh, Barbara, the, the gender consultant, and we're going to talk about you know sex and gender from a lot of perspectives um, that she knows a lot about. But basically, we're going to talk about women and whether women have ever had equality and how it manifests and doesn't manifest itself and week after week we will talk about women's equality so this is going to be this is going to be scary because everything we find out is going to be negative i already know this because i've lived as a woman for 80 years and one of the reasons i want to do this and one of the reasons I I do the Karma Club and please pin your friends into the room. I will invite up Sharla after, um, there we go. Okay, Sharla, I invited you.
2: Okay. Hi, hi, Dr. Francine.
0: Hi. So what Sharla is really part of the
2: women's
0: equality issue. Because she is doing a documentary on, uh, on um, women at the border. And she has been doing it since the pandemic. And then another night this week, I helped hold a fundraiser for my friend and all our friends, Black Issues Issues, who got an NEH fellowship and didn't have the money to go study at the place where um, where the fellow where she had to go to you know to make good on the fellowship. So that's another woman. I mean, women have lost opportunity as men have gained it over the past eighty years, and this freaks me out because because why? Should we have? We have. I think it's because we are too busy taking care of everybody else. And I see you uh, in the audience, Dr. Keisha, and
3: Dr. Francine. Did you meet yourself?
4: Oh my!
0: Where did I go? That's a first. Where did I go wrong? I muted myself. I (laughs) yes, thank you, Andrea. I never do that, Doctor Keisha. I was in the middle of telling you that you had cared for everyone else during the pandemic, and then when we got to the war in in Ukraine room, and you were doing the humanitarian updates, you had to take a back seat to the, the men who wanted to talk about the guns and the artillery. You might have wanted to talk about what was happening to the women and children. So it's really always the women are the second class citizens. And today we're talking about something that I wanted to talk about two weeks ago and it probably would have been better to talk about it two weeks ago because the world wasn't, you know, upside down and, you know, falling apart. Uh, but, or actually, it was, but we didn't really think about it, but uh, we, we didn't because I got COVID. And, and so this room is postponed from last week, so we're kind of a week behind on our Women's Issues series and our Women's women's Equality series. And I want to remind you that every Karma Club episode is made into a podcast and that you can get these podcasts either from Call-In, which is the network we do them in partnership with, um, or... Uh, on my Substack, where the latest ones are being uploaded, and they're not pretty, but here's the point: they are full of unbelievable information because I have smart friends, and I don't allow anyone who isn't uh, isn't smart <laughs> on my stages. And I have a very loyal. It's little, but it's loyal community and I want that community to now focus itself on women's issues for a while and my I posited the question does it matter who makes more in a marriage and Heyman uh, found an article called what was it called Dating Nomics or something like that anyway a lot of people think it doesn't matter um, in, I've been married five times I have always been the high, higher earner sorry, I couldn't hear what you said sorry, could you say that again? Siri would like me to say again that, that I've been hilarious. married five times Right? Like, Siri never understands anything I say but she just understood there it is, date-onomics um, so everybody wants to marry up You know, anyway, I was the highest earner in my five marriages. And was I resentful? Um, Not as long as being the high earner granted me freedom to do what I wanted. Okay. If I could say, yeah, I am the high earner, therefore I make all the decisions, then I'm happy being the high earner. If I'm getting pushback from my partner, I'm not as happy being the high earner. And uh, as you can see by the fact that I had four divorces, I got pushback you know, four out of five times. So there are some hardwired traditions around marriage that we, we modern people, don't think about that much but we probably should anyway i don't need to keep charla here for the whole hour unless she wants to but i would like to before we get started with the (laughs) the economics of dating i'd like charlotte to talk to you about the film the documentary film that she's trying to make, and why she needs the support of all other women. Sharla?
2: Hi, thank you so much, Dr. Francine, for your support. Um, And thank you, everyone, for coming and supporting, too, as well. My name is Sharla. I am a social, in fact, social justice uh, documentarian and journalist. Uh, I have been on the front lines, so to speak, covering uh, stories since 2018. My first documentary were about government whistleblowers in New York State. Um, We called whistleblowers. We won the uh, Human Rights Pillar Award for film from the National Whistleblowers Foundation for the documentary. Um, Since then, uh, I have covered stories. Um, I've been filming uh, stories around police uh, reform and brutality, uh, stories around immigration, and also just they've been creating content around uh, policy and elected officials. Right now, I have a documentary called Brazen at the Border. Um, I was filming pre-pandemic. Uh, I have received a grant from the New York Women's Foundation, which is the largest foundation in the country that, that supports women-led initiatives and that helped in the first half of my uh, trip. So during that time, we have been exploring the intersection of really international conflicts. Um, we've been exploring uh, the intersection of international conflicts, migration, and borders. And in particular, we have looked at many of the stories that have emerged. Central have been women, women, that have been central in the story. So, um, my first half, we went down to the state of Texas and to Juarez on the Mexican side. Um, we were met by an amazing immigration attorney. Her name is Claudia um, Galan, and she um, came into national prominence because she um, she was the attorney who represented the American teenager who was. Um, illegally stripped of his American citizenship when uh, he and his brother were were um, targeted by ICE um, in Texas. Um, and it was a long story, but to make a long story short, she has been amazing. She also introduced me to a Cuban um, journalist who was prosecuted by uh, the Cuban government for speaking out on uh, how they've been treating women and the LGBTQ community in Cuba. Um, I met her at the French Attention Center through Claudia. Um, we also met uh, the director of a uh, center in Juarez. Um, she uh, runs a center called Casa Migrante, which is where a lot of the people who were asylum seekers, um, the American government were sending them to this particular center. And she has been amazing um, too as well uh, with uh, the role that she played um, there. We also met a a woman, her name is Betty. She is a, um, she's actually a nun who has courageously been helping journalists in Mexico who've been prosecuted I mean, who've been persecuted and also unfortunately targeted and killed. She has a memorial of journalists, of 324 journalists to be exact, who uh, she's personally known since 1994, who've been killed or abducted or or have been, or their lives have been, uh, they have been uh, attempted assassinations on. And then she also has been working with women and, and girls, uh, and, and their families who, and, uh, has a wall, a memorial wall of women and girls who have been abducted, killed, or just disappeared, um, who have worked at, they're called Maculadoras. There are these, um, these factories along the border towns too, as well. And so, um, it's been, so meeting amazing women, who played this integral role in what we know as our the whole immigration narrative has been fascinating, and so I am here now in Los Angeles, in the Los Angeles San Diego Tijuana area, um, looking at different stories. Uh, one, I'm story I'm covering is an abogada, an immigration attorney who her, her name Cynthia, who has been I just call her badass, but she. Literally, um, goes to all the border towns along the Mexican side, um, to Nogales, to, to Tijuana, uh, to also Matamoros, um, and has covered and has been working with asylum seekers to push them through to get them, uh, their asylum status granted. So anyway, right now I am in need of um, I'm in need of some immediate funding. Should I talk about that, Dr. Francine, or what? Or what um, you, you can. To? I can't guarantee that you're going to get it from this group, but okay. You have the but, link. Okay, but um. No, so, I don't. Okay, so yeah, so right now, um, we also there are stories on the Tijuana too, as well, um, of uh, women in the, in the Haitian refugee camps where women and children um, have overwhelmingly been at, and um, this, the,
4: the What is the on,
0: overarching theme, theme? Of,
2: your, of your documentaries? So, so really, um, there are these really interesting characters of these women who played the, these prominent roles in, in in the story of immigration. I would say, or at least the recent story of immigration in the US from like the immigration attorneys to uh, I have a tech entrepreneur um, who's a woman who has been designing this system to help streamline um, asylum needs, like the process of how asylum needs are entered into this country. Um, And the role that women play in, in this way Right? We, we often hear the narratives of women that someone, as Guta had mentioned, or Andrea mentioned um, in the room that we were talking in. Women have often been portrayed as victims um, in this whole bigger narrative. But it's really interesting to have, it's really a counter narrative to show women in this way within working within the system um, and who are really the heroes. In, in this bigger narrative. That's um, the
0: point I wanted you to get at. And, mm-hmm. and if you hadn't thought of it yet, I would have given it to
5: you. <laughs> <laughs> we already had that conversation.
0: Yes. Okay, because women women are the heroes. But anyway, we, we have to go on to our regular... Um, our our regular topic, we need to do a separate room on this. This is my problem whenever I get into women's issues, which I, you can't believe how long I was able to ignore women's issues because I thought we solved them all in the 70s. You know, it's
1: pretty... Francine. Yes. Francine, that's that's because... You, partially I, but in particular your age group, you were the first, what what Harvard Business School called the first woman syndrome, where they studied, you know, the women who were the first, the pioneers, assimilated, you know what I mean? You know, adjusted to the culture, the norm, all of that, and, and didn't have the eyes to see it, right? And now when you're listening to more voices of women from different generations, you know, different parts of the world, you know, Wow then there's a much deeper insight, right? So it's really just a well-intended blind spot, you know? And I just really applaud that you are taking this on, you know? Thank you. Because we need every generation to be a part of this movement, I would say.
0: Well, it's so amazing because as soon as we stop, you know, and my friend Norm just said in in the back channel, we did solve them, but the kids messed it up. I don't know how the generations that followed ours messed it up. But, um, but I think just by sheer neglect and taking it all for granted,
5: right? No, I, well, maybe, but there's also been a concerted long-term play to overturn some of these things. And women have never had ge- uh, gender parity or economic parity in America, not to mention the rest of the world. So, you know, it's a constant, just like democracy, the fight for equal rights for everyone, people of color, indigenous people, women, it's ongoing struggle because there are there are vested interests that want to hold on to power and money. And it's there is a huge problem getting to equity and in in, and it's a cultural issue as well, a mentality mindset.
6: Well, and not and there's there's to say, not problem. to
7: mention the structures that hold right, all that. Right. Like in Latin, Latin America, we have religion holding all these things. Or we get rights and then we are stripped from them after. that, I, I,
0: you, 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 you stepped on yourself there, Gouda, but you're right. We have structures. And I want to... Religion is one of those structures, but because this today's topic has to do with marriage, I want to say that marriage is another one of those structures. Totally. And, and I want to say that when you get married, I you you think that a prince charming has come along and. Um, and, and actually uh, saved you from what I don't know because now you're married to him. But you know the prince charming has saved you, and you are groomed to um, make yourself ready for the prince charming. And even in um, even in the modern world where everyone's working. There's still that old uh, feeling of it's called the Cinderella complex that what you're really working towards is having a man come along and rescue you. And that is ridiculous because more women than men go to college, more women than men finish college. Why
1: do we think that way? Women have been graduating in greater numbers since 1980s. Yay. So it's a a mindset, you know? And I really think, I honestly think, you know, I've been at this work for, as you know, I've been seeing 30 years and written five books. And where I've seen the shift is when we shift how we think about it, right? So we shift from gender equality to what I call gender intelligence. And why I say that is that when men actually see the incredible strengths that women bring to innovation, to leadership, to decision making, when they work in politics and governments, there's a mindset shift that they see that they actually need more women on teams. And we see that with, the with, for example, Heyman, you know this because you're Canadian, with the Canadian banks, you know, we started working with them. They had between 7 to 14 percent women senior management. You know, that was like in the early 90s. And now they have them between 40 to 44, 44% women in management, right? Why? Because they've seen that it actually matters. It matters to have women there. And that's what we need to talk, need and to talk how about.
0: And how are those banks doing economically, though?
1: Very, very well. And they have been. And they attribute it to having more women. And that's my book, Results to the Top. I would love to send these books for free for anybody who wants to... See them, or just listen to my podcast, GenderTalentsShow because the CEO speak there too. Um, but, but we really, I think that the, the the glass half empty is in spades everywhere, right? How can we shift it so we do see that there are marriages that truly do work, like mine, and I am a primary income earner forever, right? Um, and you know, there there are different models of marriage, and there are there are success stories out there. Not enough. Absolutely. How do you make them work?
0: The success stories.
1: Well, the the only way I've been able to do it is is to engage men in a, in a discovery of new insight.
0: What does that mean? You know, on a, I mean, that's nice on a meta level. What does it mean day to day on the on the, the ground?
1: Camera? What what we, we did two experiments that were super cool. I don't know if anybody ever seen Undercover Boss, the, the series um, where the boss goes in and works, you know, in the workplace in disguise. But we did this called the, this the challenge, challenge CEO challenge, stand in the shoes. So we had CEOs like Bill Swanson from Raytheon, if you can imagine, agreed to take this challenge, and he walked in the shoes of a woman with three children, single mom, three kids, worked there. She was at director level uh, for twenty four hours. And he couldn't believe what he didn't know about that. He couldn't believe what she was able to manage in her life. You know, when she got up, what she meant. I mean, other than the sleep part, he followed everything, right? And he promoted her, saying, if she can do that in her personal life and still be incredibly effective at Raytheon, I'm going to promote her. And he promoted her two levels up. So I really think that the shift in the mindset to see that there, there are these amazing strength that women bring... Um, Yeah, but you're
0: saying that the shift in the mindset has to come from the man. Yes. What about the shift in the mindset coming from the woman who doesn't have those expectations of being "quote saved" unquote by the man?
1: Yes. Equal learning for both men and women. Absolutely. Equal learning.
5: Dr. Francine, may I may I just add a quick comment? I I don't. I don't know whether it's because of where I have lived and worked or I don't, I'm not sure if that savior mentality is is still there. I hear what you're saying, that, that, that there is an education uh, that is needed, but I don't know if it's there anymore, at least not with women that I know who have been often higher income earners uh, or women who get put into arranged marriages who I've met around the globe uh, against their will often and sometimes often the men as well. So I think it's a really complex issue. And I feel like also it partly depends on your income level where uh, I feel like sometimes people are very much, you know, both partners working uh so I, I, I don't know if that savior complex, I can tell you that my 18 year old threw away her princess dresses when she was six, uh, gave them away and said that people could enjoy them. But she she was like, I, I'm not waiting for a prince to save me. So I think things are shifting somewhat. I think it would be fascinating to see some data, but I do
0: hang in point. some rooms on Clubhouse. Yeah, but
5: but Thresh but the whole here.
7: thing the whole thing is also Andrea. You it's you mentioned it as you saw in other places. You know that people still being forced to marry. It all has to do also with the culture that the per, the women are living and the, their social background is super super influential in that and if you are born in non-privileged situation you don't have access to education you go to menstrual poverty you go to forced child marriage or you taken to work on a brothel whatever it is or like the indigenous girls teenagers in brazil who are being taken to work as prostitutes or sex slaves to minors in the middle of the Amazon. So those girls, those women, they are not here in this conversation as such.
0: Yeah, and and not only only that, Andrea, I mean, uh, you know, you are a person who, and one reason why I love you so much is that you wear rose-colored glasses (laughs) all the time. But you know, if your marriage to somebody is arranged by your family, and you meet your fiance once, um, and your father gives you know a pig with you, or you know whatever happens, um, a goat. Yeah, what we'll goes, whatever. Um, I don't know. I don't know that you feel that your husband is a savior, but if you don't have a husband, you're not sure how you're going to get on in life.
7: No, but I think what Andre is saying, sorry, dare to jump in and talking. Assuming what you're thinking, but what Andre says that I see this also in this younger generation, but that are educated that are able to see perspectives in the future, that they are thinking completely different. And, and I gender, see
5: gender norms are totally changing, exactly, or, or at least you, you know, I think gender roles are an identity like it or not, America and the rest of the world, they are shifting. But that's why I say I don't have data. But I can tell you that I've never seen anything like. uh, And again, it may be a certain group of uh, kids uh, that feel this way, but I feel like things are shifting. And I think it kind of correlates to where you are on an income and an education level and also whether you have any freedom or say. Over your own, you know, destination, uh, marriage or, or not, you know, depending on family and culture and religion, even.
0: Okay, how old is this book, Datanomics? Um That would be a good <laughs> question because I don't think it's very old. And what it's saying is is that it's difficult for people to date out of their class still. Heyman, do
3: you know? I'm finding that out to you as well. Uh, By the way, I mean, one thing is also, how do we value people? So I'm just wondering if we're talking about how much is a marriage worth and dowry and so forth. And also, you know, relationship, how do we value contributions? Because sometimes, you know, the blue collar, uh, white collar sort of thing. um, Is it currency? Is it how much you bring in? Or is it how much you do? Maybe that's also question because we don't how about value motherhood, how much right? you
0: give Yeah, Denise how... is Denise is up here, and I'm sure Denise has something really important to say on this.
3: The book is 2015, <laughs> no, by the way. Bring
4: it. Bring oh, okay. It. Hi, everybody. Um, so here's how I think about this, um, and no surprise, it's going to kind of align with how I think about almost everything. Um, I think that we are in the messy middle of an incredible renegotiation, right? Um, of what works, what doesn't work. And we're all, as the world is shifting, we're all kind of either upskilling to adjust to that shift or we are digging our heels in to resist that shift. And so I don't think you can like, talk about anything in generalities anymore. I think, you know, what's the, what, one of my favorite quotes is "um experts fail because they are experts in a world that no longer exists. And so how does that manifest in like relationships and these decision making um kind of planks, right? It means that People are reconsidering if they date outside their race, if they date outside their geographical area, if they date people across political parties, like all of these negotiation points are on the table. And quite frankly, we don't have the skill set to navigate it all. Like we're all like learning how to do that. So there are some mates that are really great. They're quick adopters and they can self-regulate and not be... um, can, kind of uh, triggered or or impacted by the fact that their spouse makes more than them or less than them. Like there are definitely people who are like that. And there are also tons of people who are late adopters who are uh, trying to reconcile like, you know, the quote unquote, good old days with um, an ever-changing future. And so those people are really struggling. So for me, um, in considering like who I ultimately married, was who who had that new skill set of being able to, like, see us as te- a team and peers that can work together to build something together. So I, I do make more money than my husband. And I, I don't even, th- I, he couldn't care less. Now, I do think. Do you the issue care? Was, do I you- don't care at all. Like literally I am actively like one of my life goals is to retire my husband. My job um, requires me to travel a great deal because I'm a professional speaker. So like, I just went to Ted and I'm going to Can lion. Like I want my husband to be able to travel with me. So if I, I have a number in my head that once I hit that number, he doesn't work at his job anymore. Like, and I don't have any problem with that because our relationship is not predicated upon like X dollars in the bank. It's about like, what is the quality of our interaction and our um, uh, ability to like support and encourage each other. Now that's because I do think there's, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be Pollyanna. Like I think that makes a little bit of difference depending on where you are from an income standpoint um, of how comfortable you are with that. I've had to navigate like gender norms and beat them my whole career. So this is not, this is a skill I have honed to a high degree that a lot of people haven't honed. Right. So I, I, I do think I I won't, I won't be so simplistic to say like, that's not a factor, but I do think that, you know, more people than I, most people I know, both people work and, um, most people work, and they earn pretty close in salary to one another um and I think that um this issue of kind of as i as I do my work in um d e i what I see more often than not it's not like things to add on top of your life it's how you change the nuts and bolts of your life this is like the nuts and bolts of gender equity can you do it in your house can you do it in your real actual life and i think we're just growing in that this is the this is the messy middle before the caterpillar begins about becomes a butterfly and we need to be patient with each other and allow those skill sets to develop
0: Yeah, but I've been having this issue, you know, for like 50 years, Denise. I mean, my first husband left me because I started a business. Did I care? You know, I didn't really care. He cared, you know, and that's often what happens is it's the man who cares.
4: Yeah, but then I think you just need to find another man. Who doesn't? Well, that's right? I, mean, I hate to say that's it, like I've had
0: five husbands looking. <laughs> five, <laughs> five
8: <laughs> times. Did, oh, no. you, did you say five? <laughs> five. Okay. I that's- have tried. But I.
4: But but it. But I also think like do we and this is the this is the analysis that uh, that i think we have to do that is a a little bit more uncomfortable you know you said something earlier that i think so it's so true right um we all read the story of rapunzel as kids and we read we read how rapunzel helped the, the the witch get in and out of the, the tower she helped the prince get out of the tower in and out of the tower and it never even occurred to me as a child that Rapunzel could have helped herself get out of the tower so we have decades of programming of waiting around for somebody else to come along and to change our our condition to change our reality and that's a lot of like deprogramming that we have to do and that shows up sometimes in our choices even if we're like really um in, we're trying to find a certain kind of person we I think it we can be tempted to default because of that programming so I don't think it's it's easy I'm not I don't want to say it like it's easy it wasn't easy for me I was single a long time before I found my husband um but I think like that's the work of this change that's the work of this time that we're in as mores and and processes change like we've got to change with them and that's the the icky painful stressful complicated piece of this but i do think it's possible
7: yeah but it, it it's a tough it's a tough it's a tough uh battle because you get a lot undermined by your partner as well and becomes quite difficult domestically if you really decide to go on an independent independent path. And that is something that I find that a lot of women face as well, right? And it's, and it's basically like a, like a deal with the devil, you know? You sell yourself, there is a price, and you don't realize how high that cost can be for your life. And uh, that's what I think makes more difficult, especially I see this much more in my generation, right? That we still were like, we, we, we work and all that, but still we had to give priority to the partner, or the husband's uh, career in instead of ours. And that's what makes it very difficult, right? And, and also what I noticed in... in a lot of partnerships is that the financial independence of the woman, it's actually making it more equal. Because once you're financially dependent, it's almost like they feel they can do whatever, walk on you, shout at you, whatever it is, right? But I noticed also the younger generation, they are not having to submit themselves to this anymore because they do have a proper career. So all this makes a big difference. And um, and they they wouldn't accept in my generation a lot of us being the, the, the breadwinner and they be at home. Like when I met my husband, I had 12 years of a career and he was starting his, right? I used to make more money than him and I had to give up. Right. Okay, and don't have anybody to blame. My choice, right? Miscalculating, but it is what it is. It was what it was. I, so, yeah.
0: I I want to make sure that we get to Dr. Keisha and then to Ben, who is a house
6: husband. So, Dr. Keisha. Well, this is a perfect <laughs> uh, praise for Ben. Uh, because um, my husband is a ha- has been a house husband for a long time, especially at the beginning of my training in medicine, uh, because we were out of the state. I didn't have family around. And so once we had my son, he stayed home. And he's from Guinea, Africa. So first of all, cultural differences. Um, I'm working, I'm making more uh, and have been making more than him. And then have him having to give up and relinquish the possibility of working for a while to be home was definitely something that was a struggle, I would say. I would not say it was perfect, and I think even with his culture, they were always like you 're the man you 're supposed to be working' but I would say it started with a foundation of respect for us, just respecting each other, and I have to continue sometimes it 's hard because I want to come home and still be the mother, and I have to like make the calls talking to the school, the principal while I'm at work and still trying to do both. But we just have to keep reminding and recognizing, just like, hey, you know, I, I know you're doing this, I respect it, I appreciate it, or can you do this? Um, I even thought about the honey-do list, but he was offended by that. So I do notice certain ways I approach things I have to be more, more cognizant of, but it's been 19 years and in, in going. And so it's been a process and molding and making it, but it does, it can work. Um, and it does matter, I would say it does. It does in a sense that um, you have to kind of change roles and you have to kind of work and figure things out, but you can appreciate each other for those different roles and 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 the fact that one's making more money than the other at that time, but he knows that his contributions and he has to remind me he's like my contributions matter just as much, so um, it's a process for both of us, but I appreciate it.
0: yeah well i that's that's what I have to uh, remind. People, I found my match, so to speak, in my last marriage and finally met a guy, you know, who, uh, and, and married him, a guy who respected me. Ben? I know you're this, a house husband, so.
9: Hi. Hi, everybody. Uh, yeah, I actually have an unusual situation, as you know right now, but because I was married twice before. Ten years each time. As a matter of fact, on my OKCupid uh, profile, I used to say that I I come with a ten year guarantee. And now that I'm in my seventh year of my third marriage, my my wife is getting concerned. But my I I actually have three situ three long term situations that were uh, uh, very different. All three of them are unique. The the first marriage was uh, you know right uh, after college uh and and both of us i had had a job as a medical photographer uh, my first wife was a, an art therapist and we were making about the same amount of money but i wanted to open up an art gallery so we took our wedding money and um i, op- I we together opened up a, a gallery for fine art photography and uh um and built it out ourselves and we had equal amount of, of equity in it and uh, I used to uh, work there four days a week. We bought a house, we have two kids, uh, and, and uh, uh, she would work uh, three days a week, uh, and then I would watch the kids in, in, the, uh, in the house, and then I would, we would switch, and then I would uh, be in the gallery four days, and she would be with the kids for four days. So we did everything was, was equal from the beginning, and we, we built a very successful business that lasted 10 years, and then, you know, we moved on. Equitable. The, the second marriage, um, my wife was a, a professor at a university, and at the time I, I was a, an Internet consultant. And, and again, at that time, we, we made about the same amount of money. But she wanted to have a kid, and I wanted to start this trade association, so um I gave up uh so she stopped working and uh and we and we had Max and she um and she was bringing up Max and while I built this uh, nonprofit trade association which became successful where I became the the uh the breadwinner and that lasted for 10 years <laughs> and and uh and my current uh, my, my wife, my last wife like we like to say, uh, and she's a, uh, she's the ambassador um, for, from Brazil in Burkina Faso, which is where I live. So she's a, a career uh, diplomat from Brazil. Uh, and, and uh, we got married and, and I had uh, I, I had sort of retired from the trade association. so I had no income coming in. And she had, uh, and she's the breadwinner. So I've gone from a situation of, of complete uh, uh, equity in terms of that. And then for me being the breadwinner for 10 years, and now I'm, now I'm in a situation where I'm the house husband and my wife uh, earns all the, well, she, you know, we could retire tomorrow and she would get her salary for the rest of our lives. So we're, this is, you know, this is. This and is how's,
0: what your, how's your masculinity?
9: It, I well, first of all, I'm I'm only attracted to very powerful women. That's I I knew that very early on. That that whoever I was going to marry or or my relationships were always the strong women because that's what I'm attracted to, and and it would never was a matter of masculinity at all. It, it's just that um, if I was with a woman that expected me to earn stuff. I would, I would get bored. I, it's, I need the challenge of somebody who's who has has their shit together and is 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 at least an equal to to what I'm doing. And I and I married three women. As a matter of fact, just so you know, that my my two ex wives uh, came to my third marriage, and we're all friends and we all know each other. And,
0: I've had that in my family too. But um, we have ten minutes left.
9: Yeah. Anyway, and- but I'm done speaking. Thank you.
0: And I've got three people on stage. Um, Norm, I'm going to call on you. But since you have a reputation for being a shit stirrer, let me tell you in advance that no shit is stirred in this room. Or if it is, it's over your dead body. Just
8: kidding. Honestly, Dr. Honestly, Doctor Francine, I have I have no idea what you're talking about. I am the so I'm innocent until presumed innocent until otherwise shown. Anyway, kidding. So yeah, I have some thoughts on this. Um, and this is what my this is what they are. My uh, response to this is, and um, uh, I, I I think I'm kind of closer to your say and Ben's generation than to uh, others folks so um we really f- i really felt when i was in my 20s like i was inventing with my girlfriend like a new way of being and a new way of relating we're very creative we coming to new york and starting our creative careers um and you know it's wonderful and marvelous to just be in that intoxication of romance for sure um and I will say that, uh, in terms of what we're calling gender roles or, yeah, I guess we'll call them gender or norms. Um, I think in what, perhaps what you're referring to, doc, Dr. Francine is that, uh, we've broken the old ones. I call them like the vessels. That's from Harold Bloom that like we've broken the vessels, but we haven't made the new ones yet. And so I feel like we have to figure out how, how to make the new vessels. And so I'm not going to use yet another of these uh, analogies. I guess I am, That it's like building an airplane in flight. You know, you're in the middle of it. And one thing I'm learning is that. So it's um,
0: kind of like what Denise said, only the male version of it.
8: Right. Tell me what you. you yeah. I mean, in terms of the, the husband and, 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 a kind of but it's not the way I experience it because I experience things in a much more roller coaster way it's not like you know it's uh you know it's just more dramatic that's just my i guess I'm very passionate and that's my wiring and what I what I'm trying to get at in a way is i think i feel like it was so different we have different, you know, like say with my first wife, very such different tastes and sensibilities and needs and, de- and desires and ways of being in the world and ways of relating to our son, really different. And part of the challenge is to accept each other and our differences and to understand that and to not be critical because two different, you know, it's like we're, Two people, it could could be two, a man and a woman, it could be two women, two guys. It's very difficult to be with another human being. And yet it's the thing we want the most. So it's so challenging. And I'll just mention something I didn't hear yet here. Death, disability, grief, loss. When those things happen, when, you know, somebody loses a job, we lose a parent, our kid is wired differently, um, life happens. And this often puts stress on the relationship and then if we can weather that um then perhaps you know you get to the other side uh and and you you're, you're strengthened a bit but and if a few of these happen at once very very difficult the pandemic has been very tough on i think some marriages some have grown closer um income disparity can work but it's not clear what is that special thing that we're drawn to uh and, and whoever it is that we're drawn to and how do we keep that alive you know year in and year out after you know the honeymoon is over and you're we're taking out the garbage and washing the sink you know and uh fixing the garage door these are all things that i do you know how do you keep that uh how do you how do you how do i help a woman feel like a woman and how does she help me feel like a man fulfilled and alive you know so that to me is the is the challenge. I hope that was somewhat helpful. It was certainly honest. And I don't think I've stirred any pots.
0: No, you definitely haven't. Hey, I'd like to reset the room for a minute because I want to make sure you all get your free karma coin. Um, the, this is the Karma Club. It meets once a week here on Clubhouse. It makes a podcast out of that meeting. And um I'm feeling like we all need as much karma as we can get. So if you just click on the link, you can claim your karma coin and um, and it'll be good for you. I'm not sure how, but karma is always good for you. If it's good karma.
10: Um, Suzanne, hi. Hey, Dr. Francine. I, I wrote in the, the chat that my damn IRL job made me actually work. Um, don't they know that this was I had booked that out out of the office so I'm gonna go kind of on the opposite and or maybe tell share a little bit too much personal information so I've always made more money than my husband until I stopped working and when I stopped working we actually had a deal between the two of us when we got together that Whoever made less money when we had children was going to stop working. I made three times the salary of my husband when I stopped working, um, to stay home with our kids for seven years. Hardest damn job I've ever had, by the way. Um, so now my husband likes that I don't make, um, as much money as him. Um, however, I still have more money than him. So he doesn't like that. Um, and for us, the only thing, the only way that it works for us is if I give him a set amount every month, and then I don't ask any questions. Um, so that's what I've had to do to appease my husband, who I'm still married to. He's my first and only husband, and I will say it like that because if I do get divorced, I won't get married again. Just because the money thing comes in the way all the time, I'm suzanne and I'm done sharing. Fascinating,
11: Daniel. Hi, super interesting topic, uh, just like, uh, I don't know, most Brown, but I have an ideal right support, protect, provide whatever. Uh, but I also live in the reality of my situation. I don't have uh, my situation.
0: Um, Daniel you're the, in the matrix, can I'm... you hear me? No.
11: No, how about now? Okay, go. Right, so uh, I I don't live by my ideal of what I thought my life was gonna be like. I live in the reality of it. And if my wife needs to work so we could uh, better ourselves for our kids, that's what we do, you know what I mean? I have to put my ego and pride aside and live with the reality, no longer my ideal, because that's not what I have in front of me, right? I just figure it out for
0: my kids. I think we needed a college student on this panel. You're all wonderful. I love you. You're all my friends. But I, we do need someone from Gen Z, you know, to tell us how it's going to be. Heyman, how old are you?
3: Me. I'm actually 45, yeah. so. Oh, rats! You, you no, <laughs> but I no, but I, I think the key thing is I think the, the the problem is that we don't the value we're putting value like uh, Norm. I don't mean to attack you, but you said like you know um, how like I'll make her feel like a woman worth a woman, and I think the words I'm not using properly, but and she uh, she can actually make me feel like a man. I'm just wondering, like first of all, it's an individual thing, and also Daniel, you mentioned about the fact that. I don't feel great about it, but, you know, what can I do? Like, you know, how the fact that you can't provide, I guess, the, the fact that you're, I, I get the feeling that you are ashamed that she's working. But, no, that,
11: oh, that's not what I That's said. not it? Okay, sorry. I said, I don't live by the ideas I had as a child. I live in the reality right. of my situation because I've, I'm in the Bay Area. It's expensive out right. here. And this is the norm. I don't live by the the ideal of I protect, provide. Cool. If I could do it, that's great. But if not, I'm in my reality, right? My kids don't need to hear my wife's and my resentments towards each other because we don't live this picture-perfect world because life's not perfect. We figure it out. We move along. My kids get a better opportunity. So they have a chance to try this uh, chaotic thing called life.
3: Do you actually sit down together and have a meal together as a family?
11: Every day.
3: Right. So, and uh, so you get that. You share a lot together.
8: Absolutely.
11: But I'm also a truck driver that works 14 hours a day. Right. My wife's a dental assistant, and my child's at 12, and I have another one on the way. Right. So we adjust. I don't have these perfect uh, box outlines. Figure it out as it comes, and we don't. We communicate to not harbor resentment because one works more than the other, one makes more money. It's all going to the collective.
3: No, I think that the point I'm trying to get is that the value of time and time and spending with others, I think that's something we don't pick, value. Uh, and I think everyone's madly working in a rat race. Uh, yes, we do need to have the basics, right? We need to be able to put food on the table. But does that food have to be what the Food Network tells us, right? It's food that sustains us and helps us.
11: I, I don't live by that standard. Right. I live in the reality of what I have. If I have to go to the dollar store to get Cold cuts. I do that because it's for the betterment. I don't operate in this uh I so picture. totally
0: love the idea of
11: the collective, Daniel.
0: Yeah. I love it. Because if your marriage is not a collective and I you know, I've never really heard a marriage uh is not a collective you know you're in some ways you are you're up a creek and that i think that's beautiful okay anyway i'm going to um i'm going to end the room but i want to thank you so much for supporting me with your time and attention and i want to continue women under siege it's dreadful and i watched Oh, my God. I watched Barbara Annis. Barbara Annis gives me all my ideas. But I watched Barbara an- the ones that Heyman doesn't give me. Um, I'm just the on-air talent. Uh, but Barbara Annis made me, not made me, but suggested that I watch um, the YouTube video of a an emergency room physician who is a woman and she talked about she talked about how uh women and men can't be treated the same way in the emergency room but they always have been and ha- and this is going to be i think the next topic for next week it's going to be you know uh, ongoing uh women and healthcare and medicine and how women are treated uh, when they show up for health care, as opposed to how men are treated. Dr. Keisha, want to come? <laughs> I know you're supposed to Oh, of course. To. I know you're going you to. You're want? you on high I'll, I'll
1: invite. I'll invite her in to join us, Dr. Fensley. Yes, yes okay. please. please. Allison go. McGregor, I'll invite her in. Oh, Allison McGregor, yes. Yeah.
0: Okay.
10: What a great video that was. Yeah,
0: okay, guys. Excellent.
1: Wait a minute,
0: Dr. Just,
10: Francine. If you yes. give me advance notice, I have two gen, I have two millennials, I have childhoods, or I have two young adults, I should say, my kids. That's your 20. <laughs> yes, that's your 20. I still pay all the bills. I'm pretty sure they should be at my command, damn it. Um, so if you ever want a 20 year old girl or a 22 year old male, both would be willing to come to a room but i i will have to beg them so um, let me know when and i can okay get them, that is that
0: I'm, is good to know the problem is how can i tell what just what you know turn the discussion is going to take and if they want to be
3: uh, somewhat anonymous they could or be on a different platform away from mom's friends they could be on call-in and coming from oh, there too
0: that's a great idea, <laughs> and, and they, they could, could just go. call in. From, Perfect, call in from call, call in. In, that, would, right. that would be hilarious. All right, you guys, love you. See you next week. Thank you. Be, be happy for me that I thank that you, I didn't thank, get you. Get um, I thank you. By COVID, I am. I'm very grateful, and that's why you get this karma coin. So.
9: Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Francine.
10: Thank you, Dr. Francine.
3: Take care all in the club call inside as well and join us next week and please do join us on stage as you will be heard on all platforms take care bye